0: If we you will, take your Bibles and we'll turn to Isaiah 6, Isaiah chapter 6. Last week, our uh, title of our message was in the form of a question. This week, it's also in the form of a question. I ask you, are you, are you ready for God? Are you ready for God? Most of the older people, and probably some of our private school people, well, most of the older people grew up starting your day the same way as I did. We'd go to school, and we would stand, and we would pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, and then we would recite what we called at the time the Lord's Prayer. Now, I argue about that a little bit. It's really not the Lord's Prayer. It's really the model prayer, but we're not going to split nails over. Just for me, it's the model prayer, and I'll show you why in just a moment. But we would pledge our allegiance to our nation, and then through the... Reciting of this prayer, I mean, that's not the only thing that we started. We didn't start the days with it. When I played football and basketball and baseball, Coach Kraft always had us come around and gather and we'd say, the, say that prayer at that time. In the next... I don't even have it here. In the back and out the two doors, we have our devotion guide for the next two weeks. Revival Guide, if you go out this door, it's in the metal thing. It's on the table back here, on the table back there. I pray that everybody who can will pick up one. And for nine days, we're going to hover over that model prayer. And today's going to be a different... I'm going to just tell you about it. And then you'll have your personal time in prayer as we're getting ready for our revival services. But this thing that we call the model prayer... It is recorded two times in the New Testament. One time it's in Matthew chapter 6, and it's, Matthew put it as a part of the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Luke 11 gives us a real uh, personal connection here, because here's the thing. They were at a certain place, and they were praying. You can check me out, Luke 11. They were at a certain place, and they were praying. And the disciples came to, came to him, and they heard him pray. Now listen, they had heard him teach They had heard him preach. They had seen him do miracles. They had watched him witness to people. And they didn't say, Jesus, would you please teach us how to witness? Would you teach us how to do miracles? Would would you teach us how to preach? Would you show us how to teach? But after they heard him pray, they came to him and they said, Master, teach us how to pray. And these words, if you'll push that forward there, Mitch, these words came. And I just want to kind of want to break this down for you. This is just kind of getting us into to our message for today. He began with these words, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Now, everybody should recognize that that's the King James iteration of that. Probably was more like, Our Father in heaven, holy be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. You know what he was teaching them? He was teaching them to look upward. To look upward. And then he said, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, he wanted them not just to stay in their own personal private place. He wanted them to look out. Can you imagine what this world would be, what this culture would be, if, the, if in the same way God's will was done in heaven that it was done on earth. We call this looking outward. Looking outward. And then he said, finally he's getting to some kind of request that we do. He said, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. What's this. Our debts, our trespasses, our sin. Only as we forgive our debtors, those who trespass against us and those who sin against us. And then lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And now he's telling us that we should look inward. And just for good measure, he kind of put the caps on each end when he he ended the message back over here when he said, For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory, forever. Amen. Now here's the deal. You have seen how this prayer... Brings us in connection with the God. We look up, we look out, we look inward. Now, I will tell you that that second and third one, most of the times, is reversed. That you look inward before you look outward. You know, while while we know where we should look, we should always begin looking upward. That's the reason for the next nine days we're going to kind of hover around this. It's not going to be anything uh, in the devotions. I don't think it's going to be anything monumental. It's going to allow you to spend some time to hover with God, looking upward first and then looking outward and then looking inward as we get ready for our revival meeting. Never forget this, that Jesus' purpose in coming to earth was to connect us with God the Father, the reason he lived and died and rose and ascended back to heaven was so that he could offer you and he, you and me personal intimate connection with God the Father and God wants that personal connection with us. The, the more I read God's word, the more I am convinced that God is in heaven sitting on ready. To come and fill us like he did at Pentecost. To come and lead us, to come and direct us, to come and be closer to us than we can even imagine. He wants a relationship with his people. Now watch this. Are you ready to have a relationship with God that is closer than your best friend? That is closer than your parents? That is closer than your children? That is closer than your spouse. If not, why not? I mean, we say we believe Him. We say we trust Him for eternity with our very lives. If that is true, why would we not want to be as close to God as we possibly can? And... If you are indeed ready for God to do in me and in you and in us and work in this place what He can do, I think God is ready to show up. At the same time, if we're not ready, then likely He is not going to show up. Isaiah 6 has always been an interesting passage to me. It's always interesting... Because of that first... You move that forward, uh, Mitch. Because of that first line. In the year King Uzziah died. It's not going to be on the screen. Look at it. In, your, in the year... It doesn't matter what translation it is. Generally, it says the same thing. In the year King Uzziah died. That's intriguing to me. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Isn't it interesting? That before Isaiah got a vision of the Lord, Pud, somebody had to die. I dare say this to you. That before we get a fresh vision of the Lord, something or someone, and I don't mean that they have to physically die, they may have to die to what they are to you. Something may have to die. I want you to think about Isaiah. Now, we're not going to read the Scripture just yet. Hang on. Isaiah is five chapters deep in prophesying for God. He's speaking God's Word. He's preaching God's truth. And he's seen a vision before. To start this, you can go back to uh, Isaiah 1. 1. You don't have to turn there. We're going to put it on the screen for you. This is it. The whole book of Isaiah. The vision... Concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw during the reigns... Now watch this. King Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah of Judah. You see, the truth is, he had seen plenty of visions in those first five chapters. I mean, if you you, look at all that he's talked about. You go back there, he's talked about Judah being on trial. He talked about the city of peace. I'm just walking through it right here. And then he, then he talked about Judah's leadership being judged. Then he talked about Jude, Jerusalem's women being judged. He talked about Zion's future glory. He, he sang the song of the vineyard. And then he saw Judah's sin denounced. He's seen plenty of visions, but it was not until the king of his life, the king of his country, the king of his world died. That he saw the Lord. The truth is, is that we get so caught up in everyday life and with the things that take precedent in our life that we cannot and will not see God until there is something in our life that dies. For us to be ready. There might be something. I want you to hear this. For us to be ready for God to do something in our hearts, in our lives, in our community, in our church. There may be something in you that has to be put off. Put down. Put away. Or put to death. And I will just say this to you. I'm your pastor and I love you deeply. And I don't know what it is. But you can count on it that God does. And I suspect that you give him space in your life to speak to you. I suspect that he will reveal it to you. And it can become a life-changing event that develops into a revival. Let's stand together and let's read our scripture together. Isaiah 6, if you can, if you can't stand, it's okay. Isaiah 6, I begin reading in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. And just the hem of his, gar- his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings, with two they covered their faces, two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. And I'm going to pause there to tell you that in the Hebrew language there's no way to con- conjugate verbs, holy, holy, or holiest. And so the way that you do that is you repeat it three times. Holy, holy, it means he's the holiest of all. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips... Your iniquity is removed, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who should I send? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, your Word is so convicting, it's so challenging, and yet it calls us so much. I pray in the moments that remain, I pray that we will hear from You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It was June 9th, 1974. That was a Sunday. That. Debbie, that was my last Sunday here, June 9th, 1974. seventy all treated me well, gave me a nice uh, going away shindig. And somebody went and said, well, could we do that again, Brother Jerry? It's time for you. You, No, I'm kidding. But I was to start at First Baptist Church, Cantonment, Florida, as a full-time minister of music and youth the next sunday which would have been the 16th now my house wasn't ready and so i moved in with a with a family austin and lucy Vile. wonderful family and uh i moved in that saturday morning got all my stuff in the, the room that they'd given me and larry their son he said listen he said you know the Smiths at the church? And I go, yeah, I do. Kenneth Ray and Georgiana said, their daughter, their oldest daughter's getting married tonight. Said, would you, you want to go to the wedding? And I thought, that's a great time to meet the church. Well, right after the wedding was over, we were out front, he and I talking, and he introduced me to this very cute, Brunette with hair almost down to her backside. Cutest girl I'd ever seen. And in case you're wondering why I'm talking so good about her, she still wears my name today. You see, that introduction, that meeting changed my life. Now fast forward. We were in church work for a lot of years. Second Sunday of January in 1989 is another day that my life changed. I was visiting an East Front Baptist church in Pensacola, Florida. Dale Patterson was a pastor. He was originally from somewhere so We had a little connection. Scott Lee was the worship minister. And on that day, the Lord took me and he shook me and he said, You've never been saved. And I found Christ that day, and my life was changed, charted a new course of life, one with my wife, another with my Lord. When I look at this passage of Scripture here, God revealed himself to Isaiah in a way that Isaiah had not previously known God. I mean, think about it. From Isaiah 1-1, when we read that part, when he saw the vision, he was driven to preach God's Word and do God's work, but he had never had a vision of God. Until 6, chapter 6. He was driven by the Lord. He was ready for the Lord. But then King Uzziah died. And he finally Saw the Lord and God did something in him at this moment that he had not done before and his life was forever changed. You can follow it all the way through the chapters of Isaiah. I've already given you the outline. I want us to apply it and make it personal. The three things that I see here is that Isaiah began by looking upward. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, we know what it is to look up to people, don't we? I mean, uh, uh, you know, I looked up to my dad. He was kind of my hero. He did, did he get everything right? Absolutely not. But he was my hero. My football coach, Jack Ralph, was a hero. In fact, when I coached football as a young man, I came back and had many conversations with Coach Kraft. Now, Daddy and Coach Kraft didn't get along, but they were both my heroes in different ways. I looked up to teachers. I looked up to Sunday school teachers, and I could name some of them. I looked up to my pastors. I looked up to my staff. Every one of us need people to look up to. People who inspire you. People who direct you. People who correct you and people who teach you. We all need people like this that we can look up to, but Isaiah as we look here in chapter 6 he raises the bar just a bit, if you will. He saw the one whom we all should see. He saw the one to give his allegiance to. He saw the one who had come to live and and, and since now that death had happened, and now the throne of his life was empty, he was looking beyond here. He was looking for a present help. Folks, as long as we hold on to the things of this world, as long as we grip them so tight, we may never get a vision of God. As long as there's something in our life that's taken over the throne We may never see in our spirits our Heavenly Father. But when the things of this world kind of clear out and fall away, only then do we have a chance to see Him for who He is. You know what the sad part is? Many of us are so comfortable holding on to things of this world. That God has to take us and put us on our backs. C.S. Lewis intimates that the only time some of us look up is when we're on our backs. Sometimes He has to throw us down on our backs so that He will force us to look up. It's kind of like sheepology. Some of you have heard me share this. Uh, I I share it many times at, at, at funerals. Sheepology. Lord, is my shepherd, I shall not want He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Let's just stop right there. Here's the picture. Those shepherd boys, young shepherd boys, taking care of the sheep. Sheep are wonderful in many ways, but they're stinky in many ways. We think it's a compliment for us to be called the sheep of his pastor. But sheep are pretty dumb. Who's raised sheep around here? Sheep are pretty dumb. Sometimes they won't even uh they won't even lay down to get rest. And you know what the shepherd has to do? He literally will take his body weight and he will force that sheep to the ground to get rest. Sometimes that's what God has to do for us so that we can look we will look up to him. I saw the Lord, he was High, He was lifted up. When we look up and when we turn loose the things of this world, we may get a glimpse of Him like we've never, under, never imagined. His power, His majesty, His glory, His beauty, who He is and all of His splendor. But when we do that, I want to give you a warning. When we do that, we will see ourselves in light of Him. In light of him, when we empty the throne of our lives, our li- that throne is now available for somebody else. And so when we, when we look at him and we put him on the throne, it will immediately change our vision from looking upward to looking inward. looking inward, I saw the Lord, He was high, and he was lifted up, and in the, in the hem, just the hem of his robe, filled the temple. The seraphims, they flew around him. And when he looked and saw himself, it was not pretty. The Word of God gives us many admonitions. I want to say this again so everybody's listening. The Word of God gives us many admonitions for us to examine ourselves. Problem is, we want to examine ourselves in light of someone else. Man, I'm as good as that old music director, and you'd be right. Man, I'm as good as that old associate pastor. I've known him a long time. Do you know? Well, yeah, God knows. And you'd be right. I'm as good as that pastor, and you'd be more than right. The problem is, you're setting a low bar. We don't compare ourselves to each other. We compare ourselves to the one who is actually on the throne. And how did Isaiah, even though he was a prophet, even though he's already given us what we know as five chapters of message and visions, is that, is that when he saw the Lord, this is what he said. I don't have to go back to my notes or my Bible because I know it too well. He said, woe is me. Now, here's the danger. When you look up and you get the vision of God and everything's off your throne and you're inviting Him in and, and He wants to do something and you get a picture of Him too, all oh, you go, I'm not as good as I thought I was. Woe is me. Look, King James, New King James, Christian standard doesn't render it like this, but this has always been... Burned in my mind. He says, I am unworthy, I am unclean, and I am undone. Not only that, but the people that I live with, the people that are around me, they're in the same shape by men. For you see, when God is our standard, When God is our standard, things appear different. That old song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face. Watch this. When you look full in His wonderful face, watch this. The things of the earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Dr. Fred Lowry is a longtime friend of ours. Fred Lee now retired. He was a longtime pastor, First Baptist Bozier City. But his words ring true in this message today. Inside of each of us, there are three people. This is the person that everybody thinks we are. There is the person that we know we are. And there is the one that God knows we are. You see, folks, the very reason we should look up every day is so that when we look in, we know that we'll have God's soul-searching, fiery eyes that can look past everything, past all the thrones of our life, and see who we are. And it will reveal the truth. Let's think about this a second. If you look inward at yourself, knowing that God is looking inward at you, what does his eyes reveal? Do they reveal a lack of prayer? Brothers and sisters, there's no substitute for prayer. Uh, all we can do is pray well look i want to just say this to you you can't do anything else until you pray and when you pray you put it in the hands of the one who will take care of it And he may call you to do something actively but praying is your first stop not your last resort would he would he would he find you a be a praying person would he I'm not talking about a person that prays. I'm talking about, there's a difference in a person that prays and a praying person. There's a difference of a a church that prays and, and a praying church. Abraham prayed, got results. Elijah prayed, results came. Hannah prayed, got a baby. Jeremiah Lamphere in 1860s prayed and revival came. Praying is the answer. We really want revival to come to the creek and expand to the county, the region. I mean, think about how bad our world needs a touch from God. We, we want that to happen. We must... Would He reveal, a, a? if He looked at you, would He reveal that life of, of, of perilousness? How about, would He reveal a life of unrighteousness? life of uncleanness? A life of sin? Listen, I know where you can walk every day, because I walk there too. We are in a culture, and in large measure, a church culture even, where we've attempted... To make sin respectable and accepted. Before I pass this, I want to say, He might reveal in my life and your life a place of deficiency. You see, the truth is, He calls us to repent. So that He can clean us. From the inside out. He restores the joy of our salvation. I want you to meditate on that. Just for a second. Just think about that. He restores. When we come to Him and He comes to us. And God comes in a big way. He restores the joy of our salvation. (laughs) The, The joy. Okay, I can just tell you that Eating dill pickled juice does not give you joy. And all of you look like you had a couple of tablespoons. And I want to say this with all the love in my heart. We come in here and we look like we've been baptized in prune juice. We go to the basketball court or we go to the baseball court. We go other places and we look like we've been baptized in joy. You see, the joy of the Lord is still our strength. If people are going, who wants to join a funeral home? No, you want to join a place where there's life. We have to find and to rediscover the life. Will you find the joy in Jesus that you find in your family, that you find in your job, that you find in your hobbies, that you find in your sports, in your sports team? My desire is for us, Scripture. Will you not revive us? Again, so that your people may rejoice in you. I'm going to tell you, thanks, Duke. I was excited when our folks began clapping for the music. That's a sign of joy. That's not a sign of tradition or... That's the sign that something's going on in us. My heart is for us to be joyful in Jesus, not just the other things. You know, I read a lot of a guy named Robbie Gallaty, William Carey graduate, Ryan. I read a statement that he made. I read one of his statements. Or either I heard him, hear it on, heard him say it on a video. He said, I want you to hear this. You, which is me, you have as much of God as you want. What do you think about that? Remember that about a year ago I, I read to you a little passage about i just like $3 worth of God, Jesus. Just, I, I don't want enough to, to bother my soul. I don't want enough to change me. I just want enough to keep me warm and fuzzy and comfortable. All I don't want to say to you is the God of the Bible is not that type of God. You will never get that. I don't advocate poker, but they have, a, they have a phrase in poker where it says, Are you all in? That's all God is asking for you to be all in. My prayer today is, Father, overcome these things in me so that you can send revival in this place. It begins with a look upward, proceeds to a look inward, and concludes with a look outward. When you follow the Scripture down, Isaiah's response to his personal, intimate encounter with God is very telling. Remember in the New Testament that Jesus, if you read your New Testament probably a dozen times, 15 times, Jesus was looking for the other side. You know why? Because there was always ministry to do someplace else. He didn't just stay. He was always looking for those that were yet to come, those yet to know, those yet to need that they know. When Father God captures our attention, it leads us to another dimension when he when he captured Isaiah's attention, it's interesting that he says to an active prophet, did you, I mean, this is a guy who got called, and he's on the road. He's not doing other; he's doing the Lord's business. And then after, he looks up and he sees the Lord, and then he looks at himself and says, Woe is me." And he even received the uh, cleansing with the uh, coal on his mouth. God looks at him. This is what He said: "Who will go for us? And who shall I send?" Now, you know that I have a weird outlook when I read things. I have a weird mind. It, it works different from about everybody else. But you know, what that, you know what his response reminds me of? It reminds me of a second or third grade class when the teacher says, Who wants to volunteer? Me, 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 Now, some of you who are teachers, y'all know that I'm not exaggerating. That happens. That's what I see Isaiah doing. He's saying, Here am I, Lord. Why are you looking anyplace else? Here I am, Send me. And why was he ready to go? Because he had been ready for God. Now that he had seen the Lord. Now that he had experienced the grace of verse 7. Now that he was cleansed. I mean, remember, remember, he said, here's this mission field. I live among a bunch of people that are just like me. They're sinful, just like me. I am ready to go, Lord. Don't miss this. People out there need the same touch that people in here need. And it's our responsibility to go. When God comes to us and He calls us and He cleanses us and He challenges us to do a a spiritual work that's beyond us, that's a revival. So now I ask, are you ready for God? Because if it comes and gets a hold of us, it won't stop in these four walls. You know, we get excited about all kinds of things. I'm excited about a lot of things. There are a few things I'm not excited about around here, but I'm, exci- I'm excited about getting the Mac Center done. Yes. I'm excited about getting the Mac Center done. place for our young people to call home. A place that's equipped well. In, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about our children's basketball programs. Over seventy children. Whew. Man, that's mission field. I'm excited about things that are going on in other ministries of our church. But the reason I'm excited about it is because Jesus started it. Are you ready for God to come and do something? Now listen, he's not going to come do something in the church. Bailey, he's going to come do something in you. Pud, he's going to come do something in you. Jimmy, he's going to come do something in you. Jerry, he's going to come do something in you. It starts one heart at a time, one person at a time. And I will offer this as I close. Before I offer this, let me just say, there might be someone here. This message has been largely to the church, to the people who profess to know Christ. That may be somebody that's never, you've never invited Christ into your life. Let me tell you, you will never be fulfilled until Jesus is in the center of your life. You see, Jesus sees you as you are. If you're outside of him, you're a sinner. And if you pass from this life, right now, you would go to a place you didn't want to go and be there for all eternity. At the same time, while you're in this life, you don't have to be alone or lonely. You can have someone that's closer than a brother. Jesus left heaven. He came to earth and he was crucified. He he died. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission or forgiveness of sin. He died for your sin. He died for my sin. And then he rose from the grave. Hey, I was telling them at the ball game the other night. I generally go with those people who can rise from the grave because nothing else is going to be impossible for them. And I only know one, by the way. He rose from the grave. He ascended to heaven. And now He offers you eternal life. All you have to do is you put your faith, trust Him, in, in Him, and follow Him. But I end with this. We can say that we won't We can say, and again, I hope we say we're having revival services, giving God a chance to come and move. But if you're not ready for Him, if we're not ready for Him, there's little to no chance that He'll send revival. Because from my study of the Bible, my study of history, God does not send revival to people who do not want it. Are you ready for God? Let's pray together.